today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Do the first works. What does that mean? Do what worked at first. Yeah, I don't feel like it. No, 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 no. This is not a walk of feelings. It's a walk of faith. Oh, spoiler alert. Faith comes how? By hearing and hearing the Word of God. You see where I'm going with this? Do it and the feelings will follow. Do what worked at first. You you remember what it was like when you were first in love? Oh, man. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Hebrews. We can all relate to letting our emotions drive us, right? We get so caught up in our feelings that they dictate our attitude and our actions. Today, though, Pastor J.D. reminds us that our emotions are fickle. If we want to control them, we need to first act. Then the feelings will follow. As Hebrews tells us, return to your first love. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Hebrews chapter 2 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. If we really grasped that and valued that so great a salvation, would it stand to reason that it would have an impact on the way we live our lives? I remember a time not long ago when I was just kind of going through a really difficult time, and I know you don't do this, you know, you're more spiritual than I am, but I'm kicking, fighting, biting, scratching, screaming, you know, Lord! <laughs> and the Holy Spirit, just as only He can, is always so faithful too, and that still small voice asks me the question of, are you saved? kind of question? Of course I am. To which the response came, act like it. You're not acting like you're saved. You're saved. Why are you freaking out? Well, this is, this isn't good. Wait, you're saved, right? Yeah, we have an inheritance that awaits us. I mean, we're, we're kind of uh, privileged, I guess you might say. I don't want to use the E word. You know that word. I don't want to use it. Okay, I just did. Entitled. <laughs> but no, we are in the sense that being heirs of so great a salvation entitles us to certain things here and now. Like promises that we have that are ours, like the all too familiar, maybe too familiar promise in Romans 8.28. Just indulge me and think this through with me. Think about this one promise in Romans 8.28. For we know, not wish, hope, believe, no, know, that all things, not most, not some, not the majority, 
all things work together for the good. They do? Yeah. For me, not so fast. What do you mean? Oh, that is only for those who are entitled. (laughs) You're entitled? Yes, I am. You better believe it. Because it's only for those who have been called according to God's purpose and those that love God. That's who that promise is for. Can we talk just a moment about this purpose that we're called to or entitled to? Well, it's actually in the next verse. It's kind of the fine print. You know how it is when you download an app or subscribe, and then you have to read the terms of service? All 1,572 pages of them? Come on, you do what I do, right? Agree? (laughs) Do you know what you just agreed to? You don't want to know. It's not good. So this is a conditional promise, and there are terms. Because see, if you're one who is called according to God's purpose, the purpose of God is this, verse 29, to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Did you know that was the terms of service? The fine print? Do you know what that means to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ? Well, here's what it means. It means that the purpose of that which you are going through is to make you more like Jesus. Now if you're anything like me, and I suspect that you are, that is a tall order to make me more like Jesus. we got a lot of work to do. It's going to take some time. I know. We better get busy. Because see, what he does is like the potter with the clay, is he takes that clay and he begins the process of shaping it and making it into this beautiful work, craftsmanship. He who is faithful that began that work is faithful to complete it. We are His workmanship. Interesting word in the original. It's where we get the English word for poem, poema, work of art. We're His work of art. But He's got a lot of work to do to make this a work of art, (laughs) because He wants to make us like Jesus, conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. So the potter takes the clay and he begins that process of shaping it and taking all of the things out of it and then placing it on the potter's wheel and then spinning it around at a jillion miles per hour, which sounds like my week last week and probably yours too. 
And then he takes his hand when the clay is on that wheel and he jabs it in to begin the shaping. And then finally, not a moment too soon, that wheel stops. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Oh, we're not done yet. He takes you off that wheel and he sticks you in the kiln, appropriately named, (laughs) the furnace. And it's so hot in there, but it needs to be. Because as Isaiah says, he chooses the furnace of affliction to refine us. I wish that were not so. I wish that instead of the furnace of affliction to refine me, that he would refine me on the beaches of Oahu. (laughs) Refine me, Lord. (laughs) doesn't work that way. No, it's the furnace of affliction. And then once that process is done, he takes that work out of the furnace, and then he begins the finishing work, the finishing touches, colors, magnificent. And then when he's all done, do you know what he does? Puts his name on it, his name of ownership. Like with any work of art, the name of the artist is on it. This is something lost in our culture, and I want to go too far into it, but just think the ironic blessing. We know it well, number six, the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you, lift up His countenance to you, be gracious unto you, and give you peace. But do you know what God tells Moses to command Aaron to say to the Israelites every time they're at the tent of meeting, which sometimes was more than one time a day? Every time they were at the tent of meeting, they heard that blessing pronounced on them. And then after that blessing was pronounced on them, Aaron was commanded to say to them, I'm going to put my name on them. In the Arab culture, this is huge. My mom growing up used to say in Arabic, I've changed it, but it basically would go something like this, Ism Yesua Alek. What she was saying was the name of God or the name of Jesus be upon you. And you know what the name is, right? The name is the nature. He's making us more like Him. Why? Oh, He has a lot invested in us, right? You know what it cost Him to purchase us? We are not our own. We're purchased with the price. Cost Him everything. He paid with His life, His blood shed in our stead. Greater love hath no man that He lay down His life for another. And you think for a second, He doesn't care about what you're going through. And we don't value that. We make light of that. 
We neglect that. No wonder the fire went out. No wonder I'm not as on fire for the Lord as I once was. No wonder I don't have the same desire to be in the Word. No wonder I don't have the the same desire to spend time in prayer. And it's not a got to, it's a get to. Can you imagine? I know as parents, earthly parents, can you imagine? Your children come up to you and say to you something to the effect of, I've got to spend time with you today. Don't bother. No, and you're all going to be like that, huh? you got to spend time with me? Let me see if I got this straight. I'm, I'm over-dramatizing it, so to speak, for good reason. And I think you'll see why. God so loved me that He sent His only begotten Son to die for me, so that if I would believe in Him, I would not perish, but have everlasting life. And i got to make time to spend time with Him. Oh, how that must grieve the heart of God. It's a get to. It's not a God to. One last thing and we'll move on to the second one here. There's a how. It's kind of woven into the fabric of this, and I think I would be grossly remiss if I didn't make mention of it. So let's just say that maybe you're here today and truth be known, yeah, I'm kind of drifting, backslidden. I I am that person that has kind of, I mean, it's a chore. I don't rise up early in the morning and seek the Lord. I don't I don't really have that burning desire to get into the Word and spend time with the Lord and pray. And I mean, it really is a got to when I do, not a get to. How do I get it back? Ah, Revelation chapter 2. The church of Ephesus, who left not lost their first love, neglected, made light of, walked away from their first love. And Jesus has John write to them and say to them, this is how to get it back. You want it back? Yes. Come back to your first love. How? Do the first works. What does that mean? Do what worked at first. Yeah, I don't feel like it. No, 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 no. This is not a walk of feelings. It's a walk of faith. Oh, spoiler alert, faith comes how? By hearing and hearing the Word of God. You see where I'm going with this? Do it, and the feelings will follow. Do what worked at first. You you remember what it was like when you were first in love? Oh, man. Come on, guys. You opened up the door for your wives. At least for the first week afterwards, anyway, right? And how long was it before you're like, Get in! We're late! What's the matter with you? First works. Do what you did at first for your first love. Oh, it's 
It's amazing. I can tell you on the authority not only of God's Word, but from my own personal experience, those times where I've just returned. It's a repentance, a 180. It's a returning, it's a repeating, repeating of those first works. The second reason that it's so easy to backslide and drift away is because we take our eyes off the Lord. I know this is a firm grasp of the obvious. Many a sermons have been preached about taking your eyes off the Lord. Certainly Peter has been the object of those sermons, and I've preached a few of them in my time as, as well. There he is, middle of the Sea of Galilee, middle of a storm, a perilous storm, a life-threatening storm, and here comes Jesus, and at first they think, and they're even more afraid of whoever that is walking on water towards them. Is it a ghost? They're more afraid of whoever that is than they are of the life-threatening storm that they're in. And this is where Peter, and you know this, and you've probably heard this, and many have preached this, but here's Peter, and he says, when he realizes it's the Lord, bid me come. Translated, I want to walk on water too. Now before you're, and I've done this too, and I think many of us are going to owe Peter an apology in heaven. I'll be at the front of that line. But think about this. None of the other disciples said that. And so he tells Jesus, have me come to you and walk on water too. And what does Jesus say? What are you, crazy? No, he doesn't say that. He says, come. And what does Peter do? He comes. He steps out of that boat. By the way, storm still raging. We still got a storm here. He steps out into the storm, out of the boat, and he's walking on water. Well, you know how it ends. We're told very detailed in the narrative that he was walking on water and then he took his eyes off the Lord. And that's when he began to sink. My son Levi and I were talking about this and I mean surely the the lesson is clear here that had he not taken his eyes off the Lord he would not have sunk and begin to drown. But I have a question. Why did he take his eyes off the Lord? Maybe better ask this way. What took his eyes off the Lord? Well, you know what it was, right? It was the storm. <laughs> and as soon as he took his eyes off the Lord, Boom, down he goes. Stay with me. And I, I love it because Peter prays a three-word prayer. Lord, save me. 
And Jesus answered it. That gives me great encouragement that God answers three-word prayers. <laughs> it's not the length of the prayer, as one said, it's the strength of the prayer. That does not apply to sermons, so you know. <laughs> so he starts sinking, and the Lord reaches out and pulls him up. But here's a takeaway in the context of what we're looking at here. Think about this. Something or someone is competing and clamoring for our attention, and if it succeeds, then we take our eyes off the Lord and put it on whatever that is. And it's for this reason I believe that the writer of Hebrews makes it a point to point to Jesus with our eyes. We don't see that, but we do see Jesus. Our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is over all mankind. Jesus is over all the angels. That's who I'm looking to, the author and finisher, perfecter of my faith, my eyes on Him. I was thinking this morning, before coming, about Lot. And I actually went back into Genesis to read the account and refresh my memory. So, you know, when Lot and Abraham are going to part ways, and Abraham basically gives Lot first choice, And we're told, it's a very interesting detail, and it's there for a reason in the narrative, we're told that Lot looked and saw with his eyes Sodom. And he saw the prosperity, the city lights, as it were. He said, ah, that's where I want to go. And he did. And what's really interesting, and for those of you that were with us many years ago now, we went through the book of Genesis, a fascinating study of just Lot's life. He starts off, he pitched his tent near Sodom. You know, by the time Sodom and Gomorrah are judged, you know where we find him? He's not in a tent near Sodom. He's at the city center of Sodom. Oh. Interesting how that works. And it all starts with where we fix our eyes. I tell you, I love it when our worship team does that timeless classic hymn. In fact, I asked Capono if he was going to do it again. He did it after the prophecy update. He said, well, if you want me to. I said, no, as the Lord leads. I'm only going to reference it. He said, well, then that's the Lord leading. So (laughs) I guess you know what the closing song is going to be. And I think it's so apropos that it is. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. 
The book of Hebrews is rather enlightening as it traces all the history and traditions of the Old Testament, but ties them into the significance of Jesus and the New Testament. Essentially, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament covenants and symbols. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus became the sacrificial lamb. It would be fascinating to have been a Jew during Jesus' time and to then later realize that Jesus was and is everything he said he would be. To fully understand the newer things, it's important to go back and appreciate the older ways, how it was done prior to Jesus coming to earth. The book of Hebrews is a wealth of knowledge and a resource for this exact thing. If you're just getting into this study and want to listen to other teachings from Hebrews, we invite you to go to calvarychapelkaneohe.com. You can find more messages there. If you're in the Kaneohe area, you're always welcome to join us on Sundays or Thursdays at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. We meet for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times, directions, and more at our website, calvarychapelkaneohe.com. Until we meet again, we encourage you to dive deep into God's Word, looking for nuggets of wisdom and insights that God wants to teach you right in the book of Hebrews. As we look forward to next time, we trust that you've been encouraged by what you've heard today. Come back again for another edition of In Spirit and Truth.